seated. Ms. Berkovich, good afternoon. Good to see you. Nice to see you, too, Your Honor. Good afternoon. For the record, Bernie Berkovich from Weill, Gottschall & Mangese on behalf of the debtor, Terraform Labs PTE LTD. I'm joined by my colleagues Jessica Liu, Gavin Andrews, Jared Friedman, and Christine Calabrese, as well as Zach Shapiro from the Richards Lane firm. Good to see you. Also in the courtroom today is Mark Califano from Denton's, which is the debtor's proposed special litigation counsel. Mr. Califano, it is good to see you again. Welcome. We wanted to thank the court for making time for us this afternoon. We also wanted to thank Ms. Rickendorfer and Ms. Leamy from the Office of the U.S. Trustee. We've worked with the Office of the U.S. Trustee in respect to questions and comments that they've had about the debtor's business and the first day motions, and I'm pleased to report that we believe we've resolved all of these U.S. Trustees' concerns raised for purposes of today's hearing. Okay. And we will, of course, continue to work with the U.S. Trustee during the course of this case. Very good. We also received comments from the SEC with respect to the first day motions, and we believe we've resolved all of their concerns again today for purposes of today's hearing. For today. For today. So we hope and expect to have a consensual hearing today. We will submit revised orders with the court reflecting those terms, and Ms. Liu will address some of them as part of her presentation. Sure. I think that there was an inquiry with respect to scheduling as well. Did the court give you a second day hearing? I believe we have March 4th at 1.30 or 2.30 p.m. Very good. Thank you for accommodating us. Happy to oblige. So we have four motions before the court today, first day motions. My colleague, Gavin Andrews, will present the EPIC Claims and Noticing Agent Retention Application at docket number 17, as well as the creditor matrix motion at docket 11. And Ms. Liu will present the wages motion at docket 20 and the treasury management motion at docket 21. Before I begin, I'd like to make a few more introductions to the court. Your Honor, we have with us in court today the debtor's CEO, Chris Amani. Mr. Amani is our first day declarant. He is our declarant today. Yes. Welcome, sir. He is available if Your Honor has any questions for him or any parties do. I have read the declaration several times. I am reluctant to ask any particular questions. But I am prepared to be educated. We will try to educate you. And we also have in the courtroom Michael Leto, who is a managing director at Alvarez and Marcel. And he is a separate declarant for us as well today. Mr. Leto, good to see you. If there are no objections, I'd like to move into evidence. First, the declaration of Mr. Amani, which is filed at docket number 18. Very good. I would ask, are there any objections to the admission of Mr. Amani's declaration for purposes of the relief sought at this hearing? And given some of counsel's comments and the issues that are, I think, previewed in the declaration, I would reiterate my standard approach, which is to emphasize that when relief, when a first day declaration is admitted, it's essentially on limited or no notice to parties. And it is the court's position that it is exclusively for the relief that's being sought today. And to the extent that in the future relief is being sought, it's not deemed or seen to be conclusive findings of fact, et cetera, by the court. I think that's obvious to all parties. But since the issue has been raised to me at least once or twice, and I think this would be an appropriate point to note that, again, Mr. Amani's testimony and his extensive description of the nature of the business and the enterprise are being offered 
today as part of the factual predicate for the relief sought. Are there any objections? Your Ms. Richendorfer, good, uh, good afternoon. Good to see you. Good afternoon, Your Honor. Uh, Linda Richendorfer, I'm the United States Trustee. Um, no objection. Um, I appreciate the comments from your author. I just want to make it clear that um, we are reserving the right perhaps to cross-examine or raise issues with respect to the same relief when it's sought at the second day here, the final orders. And, and I think you, your reservation anticipates precisely my admonition, which is that um, the second day hearing is a completely new hearing, and the record is, is developed uh, for that purpose. Um, Ms. Short, good to see you. Good afternoon, Your Honor. For the record, Tree Short of the SEC. The SEC would also just like to make the same reservation to cross-examine Mr. Amanis. That reservation is noted. Thank you. All right. Uh, in the absence of any opposition, um, Mr. Amani's declaration is admitted. Is there any party that intends or expects today to cross-examine Mr. Amani regarding the contents of his declaration? Very well. Again, for purposes of today, Mr. Amani's declaration is admitted without contradiction. Ms. Berkovich, you may proceed. Thank you, Your Honor. And if there are no objections, we would like to move into evidence the declaration of Mr. Leto, filed the docket number 22. And again, I would ask, are there any objections to the admission of Mr. Leto's declaration subject to the same considerations the court noted a moment ago? Very well, Mr. Leto, uh, same. Your Honor, I would just make the same reservation. Of course, and that reservation is noted both for the SEC, the United States trustee, and frankly, any other party in interest that wishes to be heard at the second day hearing or thereafter. Um, in the absence of objection, um, Mr. Leto's declaration is admitted. Is there any party that intends or expects to cross-examine Mr. Leto today regarding the contents of his declaration? Very well, Mr. Leto's declaration is admitted likewise without contradiction. You may proceed. Thank you. Um, Your Honor, it was a team effort to get us here today. There are a number of people in the courtroom and joining us via dial-in who had put hard work um, into this, getting to this case together. So um, those are all the introductions. And um, with that, I'd like to uh, present um, some slides with some background. Before we do that, I'd like to just check in with the Office of the United States Trustee. Um, and uh, Ms. Richendorfer, good afternoon. Um, I, as always, appreciate your office's engagement with the debtor in advance, and I'm certainly pleased to hear that, uh, at least thus far, matters seem to be resolved for purposes of today. Um, has your office uh, sent out a notice for a formation meeting? Uh, yes, Your Honor, we have. Um, you may have noticed, if you look at the petition, it was a rather limited list of creditors, uh, and we also had a lot of bounce backs with the email addresses. Uh, so we have since been provided by debtor with new additional email addresses. Um, I believe debtor intends to file um, an amended list of creditors, adding at least two more. Um, we have been able to already send out questionnaires to the additional creditors and uh, use the revised email addresses we've received. Uh, we had asked for responses by uh, Thursday for the first group and Friday for the second group. Um, yeah, I'm going to wait and see if we receive anything that would give us plenty of time before uh, the second day hearing. But we are looking to form a, a committee, of course. Very good. Um, just don't know what type of response we may receive. Well, and again, the timing, as outlined by Ms. Berkovich, certainly affords a, uh, a sufficient opportunity to get through that process, and we'll reconvene on the 4th, if not in advance of that. So if there are, uh, if there are parties interested, then you'll do your thing. That's correct, Your Honor. And um, there are various, I think, uh, 
potentially gatekeeping issues, but those are for, we don't need to address those today, but Your Honor um, may have guessed at one or two of them. Um, what are we doing with the Singapore Corporation in, the, in Delaware? Um, and in addition, uh, where is the, I'm going to forget the exact language, and I should remember because I was on the LTL team, um, but the immediate financial distress distress of uh, the debtor at this point in time. Um, I know that Judge uh, Lawrence at one point in time wrote about uh, a company facing a verdict. Um, I think it's been since then that the Third Circuit has ruled an LTL uh, going through circumstances where well, there was the two-step process, but there also was um, the issues concerning uh, the liability itself. Um, and so, you know, we'll wait to see what evolves here. Um, and uh, there's, a, there's a history here with this company, and that's why we have the SEC Council here with us today. Um, and, I mean, these are points that I have raised in my discussions with Mr. Shapiro. Um, again, I don't think that they necessarily need to be dealt with today. Um, I only raised them because, and I forgot to check the name of the case. Your Honor, I had a case, I had a case before Your Honor uh, where we had an issue about corporate authority to file the bankruptcy case in the first instance, yeah. where Your Honor eventually ruled they did not have um, authority, so the court didn't have jurisdiction over the case. That was the Physic IQ case, and, Thank and you. I specifically found that I had jurisdiction. Um, they just lacked any corporate authority. They lacked corporate authority. Petition. Excuse me, Your Honor, I got it backwards. You're right. They lacked corporate authority. That's right. And I guess I just took it a step further than <clears> because they didn't have corporate authority, we were out of the court. Um, but the concern there had been, if Your Honor remembers, the interim first day order mm -hmm. regarding um, the debt. And the way we view it, I don't think that there's any interim relief that's No, there's the Treasury management motion, but there's not a borrowing. There's not the granting <coughs> of liens and the other mechanics. <clears throat> but if we go much further down this path, Ms. Uh, Berkovich is likely to file a brief and otherwise filibuster. Um, well, you may, and, you may um, consider you may consider the shot over the bow made. Well, and your honor, I just did, I just wanted to give everyone a heads up officially, um, and it is for the very reason that um, we don't see uh, the relief that's being granted today as in any way affecting uh, the position of creditors vis-a-vis -vis each other, as what happened in Fizz IQ once we had the um, the secured well the secured lender ended up with the liens on the assets. Of so the noted. Lender. Uh, and in fact, I think it was almost a year ago. I remember it was February, which we had that last year. So, uh, but just didn't want that to go unnoticed, Your Honor. Uh, and I'm sure that came to your attention in reading the first state declaration. Thank you. All right. We're spending a lot of time talking about stuff we're not doing today. Yes, yes. I yes. thank uh, Ms. Richendorfer for raising those issues, and I actually think during the course of my presentation, I'll have some answers, um, and we'll be pretty clear why we're here and why we should be here. Um, so we have a presentation. We did email it to Chambers. Um, Jesse Kitnick um, has it on his computer and could, have, could put it up on the screen. And they also have a hard copy. I'll take a hard copy if you've got it. <coughs> sure. Thanks. Um, and can we give Mr. Kitnick uh, privileges and we can move forward. I have observed before that the practice has evolved to the point where 
bankruptcy lawyers can't order appetizers without a PowerPoint. Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, we were holdouts for a while, but I think people now um, expect the presentation. Kirkland. So give the people what they want, right? So that's, uh, that's what we're here for. I think I'm the people and nobody asked. Okay, well. <laughs> noted, noted. Um, hopefully you'll find this um, illuminating. Fewer words than the 40-point uh, declaration for sure. Um, we'll start with the roadmap overview. Um, we like to tell the court who we are, who we are, why we're here, and where we're going. Um, so starting, uh, who is TFL? Um, Terraform Labs, or TFL, is a company specializing in the development of open source software and blockchain technologies. <coughs> Just um, waiting a moment for the uh, PowerPoint okay. to catch up. Um, its primary uh, business is developing and supporting the software used to create and run the current Terra blockchain network, which we generally refer to as the Terra blockchain, mm -hmm. and numerous tools, protocols, and applications that operate on the Terra blockchain, making transactions on the network easier, faster, and more user-friendly. In early um, May 2022, TFL's initial blockchain, which we call Terra Classic, failed following the collapse of its native tokens, Luna Classic and UST. Um, after TFL consulted with members of the Terra community and, and, and with their support, TFL relaunched the new Terra blockchain in May of 2022 and introduced an entirely new token, which we'll call Luna, um, and it airdropped those into the wallets of the holders of Luna Classic at the time of mm -hmm. Luna Classic's collapse. The Terra community, which you'll hear a lot about today, includes hundreds of thousands of individual users, as measured by wallets, who participate on the Terra blockchain in various capacities. The Terra community is committed to the Terra blockchain, and TFL is deeply committed to the community. So TFL's like, primary business purpose is to continue to maintain and improve the Terra blockchain, thereby attracting additional users to participate on it and developers to build useful applications on it. Um, to that end, uh, TFL is introduced and is in the process of creating several new exciting software applications that we'll talk about today. Let's talk about what TFL is not, because there have been a lot of crypto cases out there, and, and you'll find that this company is different from... Uh, from the one downstairs? Yes, exactly. <laughs> and maybe fewer juicy bankruptcy issues. I may be sorry to disappoint, but I think that actually um, makes it easier. So TFL does not currently issue or sell digital tokens for value. Um, the SEC's action does involve TFL's sale of tokens years ago, but not its current activities. And TFL is not and has never been a trading platform for digital currencies like FTX, for example. TFL does not have and never had customers in the way that digital asset companies do, for example, Celsius Networks. And TFL does not make loans of cryptocurrency assets like Genesis did. TFL product users do not have accounts with TFL, and TFL has never held and does not hold any customer funds. Instead, more simple, TFL is a software development company it doesn't operate to gain profits in the traditional sense. Rather, it expects to reinvest all the revenue that it earns into the business and back into the Terra, chain, Terra blockchain ecosystem for the benefit of the Terra community. But it is a corporate enterprise. Um, 
I, I read that in the declaration, and I'm. It's almost like a. It, the description is almost a public interest corporation or a public trust. It 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 does um, seem like a you know not for profit or, or whatever, but that's the way that the. Um, the business purpose is it's the community votes on it, and the purpose is to expand the blockchain. Can I ask, in the most general terms, it seems more of an ethic than um, a restriction on the business. This is how it's being modeled in order to achieve this result and build this community, rather than uh, sell as many widgets or get as many people to sign up for Amazon Prime as you could. Is that a that, fair that's characterization? That's right, and you can see the company benefits from reinvesting those sure. profits back in and building up the Terra blockchain. And so it, it does nourish the benefit of the company, and there is a sense of maximizing value by improving the Terra blockchain. Okay. But it's just, it's, you're right, it's an ethic. They don't think about, let's you know, gain dollars and cents to put in our pockets. It's to put it back into the ecosystem and back into the blockchain. Okay, I understand. Okay, so why is TFL here? Uh, so TFL is a defendant in an action that the SEC commenced and is currently pending in the district court for the Southern District of New York. Um, in late December, so less than a month, or I guess now, uh, just a month ago, the district court um, granted summary judgment to the SEC on certain claims, importantly finding that TFL and its founder and former CEO, Bill Kwan, offered and sold unregistered securities by issuing TFL's native tokens to investors. So there's already been a finding that TLA, TFL engaged in, in, in wrongdoing. Um, the trial is scheduled for March 25th on the remaining claims, which are the securities fraud claims, and the district court is expected to enter a final judgment shortly thereafter. After the trial? After the trial. So I just wanted to make sure I, I understood procedurally. So summary judgment has been granted by Judge Rakoff? Yes. Okay. Matters that remain in dispute are headed to trial next month or March. Um, and at that point, there is the prospect of a judgment being, uh, a money judgment being entered with the consequences that are described in the declaration. Do yes, I have sir. that timing right? So there's, uh, it wasn't 100% clear. I thought that that was it, but uh, again, part of the concern or part of my uncertainty was whether or not there was an expectation of an immediate issuance of a, of a money judgment by the Southern District in advance of the trial, but the summary judgment just answered the question as to certain issues Li of liability. Liability, okay. yes, Your Honor. I understand. Um, so uh, given, given the <coughs> existing ruling, however, it's um, possible, maybe likely, that the liability exposure outstrips the value of the assets. So this isn't, um, a, you know, this isn't LTL and this isn't the other case that Ms. Richendorfer mentioned. We have a judgment against us that will be converted into a money judgment that will, that puts us into financial distress. For now, for now, it's not over yet. Okay, so um, where is TFL going? So um, after the judgment is entered, we will appeal the district court decision to the Second Circuit Court of Appeals. Um, TFL believes it has very strong arguments that the district court's summary judgment decision should be reversed, and I'll discuss that a little bit. Obviously not an issue that we're asking this court to decide, but um, we, we need to be able to pursue this appeal for the benefit of the company. And again, uh, I think that the declaration was clear on this, but I want to confirm the debtor is not seeking to use the stay, stay to stop the litigation in the Southern District. It intends to move forward with the um, 
with the trial in March. Is that correct? Yes, Your Honor. Okay. You may okay. proceed. So um, TFL sought Chapter 11 protection to protect its assets from value-destructive creditor enforcement actions, which would come, um, ensure the ability to appeal to the Second Circuit, maximize value for all stakeholders, including creditors, our 60 employees, and the hundreds of thousands of people that have a stake in the success of its blockchain, enable operations in the ordinary course of business, including continuing and expanding our Web3 offering, and if necessary, treat similarly, situation, excuse me, similarly situated creditors similarly through our restructuring plan. In short, TFL is using Chapter 11 to pursue the appeal while continuing its business. Um, absent the protections of Chapter 11, the SEC could eventually enforce its money judgment before resolution of the appeal, which would be value destructive to all stakeholders, including, in our view, the very same token holders that the SEC is purporting to, to protect in its action. We believe our path is more value maximizing and protective of them. So today, um, TFL is focused on the future of the business and the Terra community including developing and releasing exciting cutting-edge technology and applications to maximize the value of the blockchain. Okay. Um, the key players here um, on the management team, I'll go a little bit out of order, but I'll, Chris and Mai, um, your honor, met. Um, we have Caden Bernstein, who's the vice president of people, and um, I'm gonna have Peter Shea, who's the general counsel. Those three members of senior management are based in the United States. Um, and then we have Mike Brown, the chief technology officer, Mark Chan, the head of ecosystem, Edward Lim, and, and Javier Su. Um, the board of directors uh, consists of Mr. Amani, we have Mr. Mathiel again. Um, for a Singapore company, you need to have a resident uh, director in Singapore. And I understand. And he is um, uh, part of our, he's an employee, but also a director. And the third director is also a U.S. person. Um, John Dubell, and we put some about his background I into, saw that. The, um, into the deck. Um, we did form a special committee pre-petition, and we'll talk about the investigation, but uh, Mr. Dubell is on the special committee. Um, and you see here the advisors that TFL assembled to get it through its process and to make sure that um, there are the appropriate controls and um, adherence to the law and bankruptcy law during the course of this Chapter 11 case. With that, I will go to the company background. Um, at this point, uh, people have different levels of understanding about cryptocurrency and blockchains. Um, I'm happy to go through the 101, or we can skip over it if you if you. Why don't we skip over it for purposes of today? Okay. So we get to a company timeline. I think uh, this is helpful. Um, so. Terraform was formed in 2018. Um, it launched the Terra Classic blockchain in 2019 and issued 1 billion Luna Classic in 2020 um, and introduced the UST stablecoin, uh, which became operational on the Terra Classic blockchain. It's those two you know, sales of those um, tokens that are the issue. Subject the, of the litigation. Yes, yes, subject to litigation. So, I got um, it. you know, 2020, there's the crypto winter, the collapse, um, particularly UST experienced a significant DPEG and the prices of both of those tokens collapsed. Um, TFL went to the community and had a proposal to launch a new blockchain um, that was uh, approved and it airdropped um, new Luna, different from the Luna Classic, to the holders of Luna and Classic and UST. 
Then um, in early 2023, several things happened. The SEC commenced its litigation. Um, Mr. Kwan resigned as um, both CEO and director, and Mr. Amani was appointed as CEO and director. So management changes um, last spring. And Mr. Kwan, I saw on footnote 20, Mr. Kwan is currently in Montenegro yes. in custody, correct? Correct. In jail. So noted. Yeah. You may proceed. Um, and then um, something exciting happened in 2023. Um, the company approached the community with a proposal. And we'll get to this, this later on how to improve the blockchain. Um, the community voted in favor and agreed to grant the company 150 million Nuna out of the community pool. Um, as the um, summary judgment decision was, was approaching, um, TFL hired Weil. At the end of December, we got the summary judgment decision. And then January, um, TFL hired Alvarez um, and Marcel as financial advisor. Wong Partners is assisting the company with Singapore governance advice. Um, we brought John Dubell on board as an independent director in mid-January. And then the board approved, and the company filed the Chapter 11 petition on January 21st. Okay. And you see here the trial um, is expected to commence in two months. Um, so again, TFL's goal is to foster a self-sustaining digital network with a vibrant and flourishing community of users. TFL does this through developing tools and applications on the blockchain that drive economic activity to it. We have a workforce of 60 employees and contractors in more than 15 countries, including many in the United States, and these are mostly software developers. Mm -hmm. I think we can. Okay, so we talk a lot about the Terra community. Um, who is the Terra community? So we've got over half a million stakeholders as measured by wallets, um, with 37,000 monthly active user users measured by unique wallets. Um, the users own the Nuna tokens and they utilize the various applications that the debtor and others have developed. And some of them stake. So there's a decentralized governance process on the blockchain. Community members can um, submit proposals democratically vote on proposals and implement various proposals if approved by the requisite vote. So again, for example, as I mentioned in October of last year, TFL proposed um, and the community approved the proposal to provide TFL with 150 million Luna tokens from the community pool to support a project that TFL, TFL outlined and we put in the declaration to grow the blockchain and fund other developers that contribute to its operation. So out of those 150, there's 100 million that went to TFL's treasury, and 25 million were earmarked for strategic partnerships and community project initiatives. Those 125 vest over five years, and then there's 25 million non-vesting. They're, they're immediately um, for a liquidity fund to be matched with TFL's treasury and deployed opportunistically. So anyone actually can create new applications and, and protocols for the Terra blockchain, not just TFL and all that makes it more useful, and this, um, this funding will help um, others come to the blockchain. Um, I could spend about 10 minutes talking about the various applications. Um, happy to get into it it's, uh, in detail in the, in the um, declaration. Yeah, I think the declaration covers a lot of it, and I don't think I'm going to get any smarter this afternoon. Um, <laughs> Let's talk about the organizational structure, sure. unless we need to cover some of the software. I, again, it's it's helpful to me to walk through this. This is uh, 
not a typical brick and mortar uh, kind of company. Um, and uh, so I think I'd like to understand the organizational structure and then we can talk about where we go from here. Sure. Assets um, and liabilities. We've got the organizational structure. We have just one debtor here, um, Singapore entity. Yes, it's a Singapore entity, but its management is in the U.S. Its primary creditor is in the U.S. Its advisors are in the U.S. And um, I think that's and that's enough said. I think um, it's clear why we're here. Um, there are four subsidiaries. Two are dissolved. One is in the process of being dissolved. The main operating subsidiary is Proximity Panorama. This is um, an entity that the company acquired in November or December of last year that has exciting um, uh, software and IP that works really well with the company's um, application. So there's already been a lot of synergies there and, and, and the company um, thinks that there, it'll bring value. So that's the corporate structure. Um, uh, and is the yes. Korea entity, Terraform Labs Korea, that's an operating entity, is that correct? Or is no, that it's dissolved? in the process of, process of being dissolved. It just hasn't been formally, it's like stuck in the court or something. Okay. Um, it's not an entity that the company uses. So um, the company's assets are the various digital assets held in Treasury. These are through the wallet the TFL controls. Um, you know, after the SEC um, commenced its litigation, all of the company's banks froze the bank accounts and some of, um, of the exchanges froze the digital asset accounts. So those are, are locked. The company, very unusual company, has no cash. You don't see a cash management motion. You see a treasury management motion. I read and the treasury management yes, motion yeah, a couple one, times. Um, <laughs> one, um, you know, one thing we're hoping is that through the Chapter 11 case, then we'll be able to go to banks and convince them that um, we are um, a company that they should be um, we they should be banking with us, or we should be banking with them. Um, you know, there's larger law firm retainers than normal, partly because of our cash situation. Mm -hmm. um, it helps fund uh, professional fees. There's 57 million uh, in fiat currency. You know, fiat is what you know people refer to like U.S. dollars. Dollars. Yeah, exactly. Not not crypto. Um, is that functionally a prejudgment attachment or something in the Singapore court? Um, Your Honor, if you can come on up to the uh, that amount was posited in the court's registry um, as part of its request to lift a Mareva injunction that had been filed ex parte. Okay. Um, and it is under the jurisdiction of that court pending further proceedings there. Is That's that correct. Very good. All right. Good to see you again, sir. And you know the company is considering um, what to do with respect to that action in terms of getting recognition in Singapore, or seeking to stay or move forward, or seeking to have some of that money released because the company believes that the amount in custody exceeds the exposure for reasons that we put in the declaration. Um, one question I did have: Is there any companion proceeding or insolvency proceeding initiated in Singapore by the debtor, or is that intended or expected, or? Uh, where does that stand? The company is considering whether it needs, um, okay. and we don't know yet. Okay. No, there's none existing at the moment. Very good. Um, the company has invested over the years um, over $50 million in 12 limited partnerships and LLC, effectively as venture investments on various technology fields. Um, more than half of those are Delaware limited partnerships or Delaware LLCs. 
Um, and uh, the company has some IP. A lot of its IP is open source, but it does have valuable IP through the proximity acquisition. Those are the assets. Um, the liabilities, um, we don't have funded debt. So yes. on, the, on the LLCs and the, and the LPs, um, so those are simply investments, investments that the company yes. has made in unrelated corporations, right? Unrelated corporations. That are doing their thing, and to the extent that there's value to their investment, then the debtor benefits from that, and to the extent there's not, uh, so be it. But these are effectively just investments. It's Correct. Okay, Correct. I understand. On the liability side, um, no funded debt. Um, we have contingent litigation liability in the SEC enforcement action. Um, that's our, our biggest potential debt, um, potential liability in the Singapore action. Um, under the venture investments, there are additional co capital contributions that the company is obligated to make. Obviously, the, co the, the company will decide whether it makes uh, sense to do so in their business judgments and come before the court before um, paying any amount. And then there's intercompany claims, which the company is in the process of reconciling. Okay. So again, um, I'll, I'll, I'll be brief here because we covered it in the beginning, um, but we are here because of the SEC filing. Um, the key issue um, is whether these tokens are securities. Um, if they're not securities, then the SEC doesn't have jurisdiction over them. Again, um, it's an interesting issue, Your Honor. No one is asking um, this court to decide that. Um, it's, you know, the, the company's view is that these are not securities. Um, these securities laws were adopted in the 1930s before computers were even invented, and that the SEC, therefore, doesn't have jurisdiction over cryptocurrencies or any other type of currency. Um, Congress has actually considered recently proposals um, to regulate cryptocurrencies, either by the SEC or by the CFTC, but Congress has not enacted those bills. Um, and until recently, the SEC did not assert jurisdiction over cryptocurrencies um, and also refused industry requests to issue regulations clarifying the scope of its authority. Um, but recently, the SEC has brought a series of enforcement actions against different companies, including CFL and others. And frankly, federal courts have disagreed about the scope of the SEC's authority over crypto tokens. Um, we cite here a Ripple Labs opinion. So. What happens when there's disagreement over matters of great concern is um, the company is going to appeal the judgment. Um, I, I guess we have the SEC's position here. They do believe that these are securities under the Howey case we learned about in law school. I haven't thought about it in a, since then, but um, it's interesting. It involves orange groves, but not, not cryptocurrency. Um, and um, we do not believe that the offer and sale of tokens constitute an investment contract as um, required by Howey. Um, skip ahead a little bit. Um, you know, we are going to pursue an appeal in the Second Circuit, and this is an important matter for the company. If the Second Circuit agrees with TFL, um, it will be able to continue its business as a going concern. If not, we're going to seek appeal all the way up to the Supreme Court. Um, because of the size of the potential money judgment, the debtor is not likely to satisfy such judgments, um, nor would it be able to post the supersedis bond required to appeal. That would enable the SEC to enforce its judgment, um, which would be disastrous for the company and its stakeholders, including the holders of the Luna tokens. 
Um, as I mentioned earlier, we're not seeking to use the automatic state to prevent the FTC from continuing to litigate the enforcement action to, to judgment. We understand that that's subject to an exception to the stay. We're not seeking to expand that. But we are relying on the exception to the exception that would prevent the FTC from enforcing its action. So the protection of the automatic, automatic stay is beneficial for the company. It will allow us to continue to conduct our business, um, avoid the immediate risk of cessation of its operations through enforcement, pursue its right to appeal, and uh, protect the state assets. And um, I'm nearly done. Um, the company has um, recently taken steps to improve its governance. Um, I, I know that some of this, uh, most of this, um, and there is a special committee that's already mm -hmm. been active in conducting investigations into various items that are laid out here, including claims and causes of actions against um, current and former directors and shareholders. Last slide, um, pass forward. You know, by uh, utilizing the Chapter 11 process and the tools of the Bankruptcy Code, TFL hopes to emerge as a reorganized and stronger enterprise for the benefit of all stakeholders. Does Your Honor have any questions? I don't. Um, before we turn to the motions, though, I would hear from anyone that wishes to be heard. I appreciate getting context uh, from the Office of the United States Trustee a few moments ago, but I certainly, uh, the SEC came up here. Your name was mentioned a few times, or your organization is short. <coughs> Good to see you. Welcome back. Thank you, Your Honor. Good to see you as well. For the record, Therese Scheuer for the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission. <clears throat> Your Honor, with me on the line is William Uptegrove from the Securities and Exchange Commission. Roger Lansman and Chris Carney, who are handling the district court litigation, are also on the line by Zoom. And additional SEC staffers are also joining this hearing by Zoom. Very good. Well, welcome all. Thank you, Your Honor. Um, Your Honor, if I may, I would like to first give a brief status report on the SEC's action against Terraform. I think it might be helpful to provide a little bit of context, um, as this appears to be the reason they filed for bankruptcy. And then, Your Honor, I'd like to, to highlight for the court some concerns that we have regarding the bankruptcy case. Um, Your Honor, um, as Ms. Berkovich has noted, the SEC sued the debtor and its former CEO in the Southern District of New York, alleging the debtor offered and sold unregistered securities and engaged in a fraudulent scheme that led to the loss of $40 billion in market value. On December 28, 2023, the district court ruled in favor of the SEC, finding that the debtor offered and sold certain crypto assets, including UST and Luna Classic, as unregistered securities. A jury trial on the fraud charges is scheduled to start March 25th. Roger Landisman and Chris Carney are attorneys in the Division of Enforcement handling the district court litigation. They've not filed their government certifications, Your Honor, uh, under the local rules, but are on the line with me and can provide further detail regarding the district court action, if Your Honor will permit. I would certainly permit, um, and again, I think counsel has heard me give this speech before. This is a first day hearing. I certainly am not going to stand on ceremony as to either affiliation with local counsel or the filing of the certifications. If there are parties that wish to be heard, either remotely or in the courtroom. Um, as always, I will hear from anyone that wishes to be heard. Um, and uh, again, I, I've been given a lot of context from the declaration, um, from Ms. Berkovich's comprehensive presentation and, and colloquy with the uh, United States trustee. Um, and to be, I want each side to be clear. I, I welcome the context. But this is both a complex 
business and product, for lack of a better term. Um, but in some ways, the, the structure of what's in front of me is actually not terribly complicated. Uh, and uh, I would welcome any, uh, any party that wishes to address the court, but understand, and I think everyone does, that I am focused exclusively today on the relief that's being sought, so parties' rights are fully reserved. Um, and to the extent that I'm being advised by counsel at the podium or otherwise, um, it is for purposes of context. doesn't hurt, um, but there's often a, a sense of discomfort when the other side is explaining uh, everything about uh, where it is that we, how it is we got here and where it is we're going to go. And I understand that uh, dynamic pretty comfortably. Uh, but no, to the extent that, um, that you or your colleagues wish to uh, uh, touch on some of these issues, understand, of course, I'm not trying this litigation. Um, and uh, the debtor has represented that it intends to move forward, and there has been substantial description and discussion of that litigation. Um, so to the extent that I would benefit from being educated a bit on it, uh, I'm all ears. I think, Your Honor, we, we do have a bit more detail that may be um, helpful to the court um, in addressing some of the relief that the debtors seek today, and we, we do have some concerns about the relief being sought today, specifically the Treasury Management Motion. Okay. Very good. Thank you, Your Honor. And I'll try and be brief and, and not go over too much of what was already discussed, um, but try and highlight some things um, that we think are of particular importance, as well as provide some additional concerns that we have about aspects of this um, or about of that TC case that may impact the bankruptcy case. Um, it is Previously discussed on December 28, 2023, Judge Rakoff in the Southern District of New York agreed with the SEC and held that as a matter of law, Terraform engaged in unregistered offers and sales of what the debtors have, have described as Luna Classic or their original Luna tokens, as well as another token, MIR, which are securities. Um, in that action, what is pending for trial um, at the end of the March? At the end of March, the SEC also alleged that defendants violated the anti-fraud provisions of the Securities and Exchange Act. Uh, the SEC alleged two different frauds. The first fraud is that defendants allegedly fraudulently told people that their blockchain was used to settle real-world transactions. It was not. And the second fraud is that defendants allegedly told people that another one of their uh, tokens called UST, uh, which is supposed to equal $1, uh, and was pegged to the US dollar by an audit, was pegged to the US dollar by an automated algorithm uh, when it was not. Um, Judge Rakoff um, has described the SEC's evidence as compelling and damning. Um, it, and without going and repeating too much about the case, um, I also wanted to mention that the SEC has concerns about Terraform's business, and particularly uh, the use of Luna 2.0. As noted, Judge Rakoff found Terraform liable for violating the Securities Act for unregistered offers and sales of their original Luna token, or Luna Classic. When Luna Classic collapsed in 2022, Terraform 
and Dofon created new Luna tokens known as Luna 2.0, which it currently holds a significant sum of according to the debtor's filings. Just like Luna Classic, Luna 2.0 appears to derive value from the use of the blockchain. Moreover, in accordance with the debtor's filings, the success of Luna 2.0 will be tied to the debtor's success. The debtors say in its papers that it is not currently issuing or selling crypto assets for value. The business they seek to reorganize as may not be in compliance with the securities laws, as it appears to us that they are seeking to replicate the business for which the district court found violative of the federal securities laws by trying to fund its operations for years with Luna. If you have any questions, I'm happy to answer them, or otherwise I'll turn it back over to Ms. Scheuer. No, I don't have any questions. Thank you for your comments. Ms. Scheuer? Thank you, Your Honor. Your Honor, the debtor has said that it filed for bankruptcy because of the SEC action, but I'd just like to provide a little bit more background on the filing. Prior to the bankruptcy case, the SEC repeatedly asked Terraform for information regarding $70 million, which was transferred to Denton's in the past month. The staff was told that Terraform would provide this information by January 22nd, but rather than provide the information about the $70 million in pre-petition transfers, Terraform filed for bankruptcy on January 21st. Your Honor, among our concerns with the bankruptcy case is whether the petition was properly filed. Obviously, we're still very early on, but based on the declarations, the debtor has been discussed by the Office of the United States Trustee. The debtor appears to foresee possible financial problems down the road in the future. However, it doesn't appear to be in current financial distress. To the extent the debtor has solvency issues now, it may be because of the assets it transferred pre-petition. The SEC's claim is unliquidated because we obtained a judgment as to liability only, not as to amount, but according to the debtor's own filings, we appear to be their most significant creditor. The top creditor with a liquidated claim is listed at approximately $3,000. Because there are so few creditors here and those with liquidated claims are small, there may not be sufficient interest in the committee to investigate the $70 million in pre-petition transfers or pursue other avoidance actions. And for the reasons discussed by my colleague, Mr. Landsman, it appears to us that the debtor may be unable to reorganize its business. And in addition, Your Honor, as also discussed by the Office of the United States Trustee, venue may not be proper in this district. It's worth noting, Your Honor, that the debtor contested personal jurisdiction of the district court action, and my understanding is it took that issue all the way up to the Supreme Court. The debtor's principal place of business and place of incorporation is in Singapore. They don't have an affiliate that filed for bankruptcy here. So venue in Delaware may not be proper. This is one of the issues that we're looking into, Your Honor. I have some comments with respect to the treasury management motion, Your Honor. We'll deal with them when we get to the motions. But any other comments, Ms. Shore? Not at this time. Thank you, Your Honor. Very good. Thank you, ma'am. Does anyone else wish to be heard before we turn to the motions? Very good. All right. Again, I think there's been a lot of colloquy with the court that is helpful to provide context, and I take it in that light. I think we can then turn to the applications themselves. And, Ms. Berkovich, I think you had given me a 
a dance card, but I don't have it written down. So I'm happy to hear from uh, anyone that uh, wishes to present the motion. Um, we'll have Mr. Andrews uh, come uh, present the first two motions. Good afternoon, Your Honor. Gavin Andrews of Wild Watch Managers on behalf of the data. Welcome. Um, Your Honor, I'll keep this brief, but uh, item number four on the agenda is the application to retain EPIC as the claim to noticing agent. That's at uh, docket number 17. <coughs> uh, Your Honor, we did receive some minor uh, administrative comments from the UST, um, which I believe that order has been uploaded um, prior to the hearing. I did receive a revised uh, form of um, uh, order, and I did not have issues with that order. Thank you, Your Honor. Well, barring any other questions, would, would like that to be ordered. Uh, Very good. Very good. I would ask if anyone wishes to be heard with respect to the application to retain EPIC as uh, uh, claims and noticing agent. <coughs> Very well. Um, I'm going to uh, grant the motion, um, as Mr. Andrews noted. Um, this application was filed for purposes of having uh, EPIC provide the, uh, the back office claims and noticing services for the debtor. The court is certainly familiar with uh, EPIC, and I'm satisfied that they possess the requisite uh, resources and experience to perform the services that are necessary and required here. In addition, I believe that this case also implicates uh, our local rules, which require uh, in large cases that a debtor move promptly to engage the services of a claims and noticing agent. Uh, that has uh, occurred here. I've had an opportunity to review the application as well as the accompanying documents. I'm satisfied it's compliant with our local rules and consistent with relief that I have granted in prior cases. The motion is granted. The order will issue. Thank you, Your Honor. Um, moving to item number five, um, that's the debtor's motion requesting authorization to file portions of the creditor matrix and uh, future filings with personal information under seal. That's at uh, docket number 11, Your Honor. Um, the personal information is home addresses of the employees. Um, we believe disclosure would pose uh, those individuals risk, um, potentially due to threats of uh, violence some of the uh, debtors' personnel have received in the past, um, and also um, in relation to perpetrating identity theft. Um, again, the, the United States trustee had some, uh, some minor comments to, that motion, uh, to the order, rather, and I believe that has been uploaded to your chambers. And uh, again, if there are no other questions, Your Honour, we would ask that uh, that order be entered. Uh, very good. I would ask if anyone wishes to be heard with respect to the debtor's uh, motion relating to its uh, creditor matrix. Okay, I have no issue with this motion. Uh, Mr. Andrews, I have a question, and if you need to confer with your client or colleagues, you're welcome to do so. Um, the motion is currently posited is, is relief that's standard in this jurisdiction, and I think in many, and it goes to the issues that you just raised, primarily about concerns about identity theft and personal information being loaded. Uh, in, in historically, this wasn't a big concern because they were giant stacks of paper and nobody would got bother to go to the clerk's office and dig that stuff out. Right now, given the availability of uh, this electronically and even the services, frankly, provided by the claims and noticing agent, it becomes exceedingly easy to do that. I and my colleagues have, uh, I think, consistently approved this relief. Um, I've had uh, a couple different crypto cases, um, and it may be that this company is simply different, but um, in prior cases, there's been significant attention paid to customers, but I don't think you have customers. So again, the last case that I had, which was actually uh, um, Bittrex, I believe. Uh, 
had a significant issue because they had millions of customers that participated on an exchange. This debtor doesn't have that type of a business and doesn't hold that kind of information, so those folks would not appear. We wouldn't have a community like that on your creditor matrix. Do I have that right? I believe that's correct, Your Honor, yes. Very good. Okay. Well, then the motion is certainly uh, narrow in scope, and I would ask if anyone wishes to be heard. Hearing no response, I'm going to grant the motion. Uh, for the reasons that I stated a moment ago in my colloquy with Mr. Andrews, um, I find that the relief requested is appropriate and warranted and consistent with that which I and my colleagues have granted on many prior occasions. The motion is granted, and the order will issue. Thank you very much, Your Honor. I'll turn you over to my colleague, um, Ms. Jessica Little. Very good. Ms. Liu, welcome. Good afternoon, Your Honor. For the record, Jessica Liu of Wagaj-Lamanji's proposed counsel for the debtor. Your Honor, the next item on the agenda is item number six. It's the debtor's employee wages motion filed at docket number 20. As my colleague noted, we have been in conversations with the United States trustee and are fully resolved on comments received to that proposed order. It has been submitted to your chambers. Uh, but very briefly, the scope of requested relief for this motion is authority to pay all outstanding pre-petition accrued workforce obligations associated with the 60 employees and contractors that are working for the debtor currently uh, or its uh, operating subsidiary proximity. These amounts include obligations relating to employer portion of payroll taxes, employee benefits, and also outstanding pre-petition accrued amounts relating to uh, leave benefits and the medical plan. Uh, and we also seek authority, just out of an abundance of caution, to continue to honor and pay uh, amounts in the ordinary course going forward, and also continue business practices, programs, and policies relating to the workforce going forward as well. The aggregate amount of the relief sought to be paid relating to the pre-petition period is approximately $846,650, uh, relatively minimal amount. And I can also confirm that the debtor is not seeking to pay any single individual over the statutory priority cap of 15150 And the same proposition applies to the contractors that you've identified at paragraph 25. Correct. That is correct, Your Honor. And as uh, noted in the motion, there are many reasons to make these payments. As you've heard and seen, this company exists primarily online, but for all of the physical employees around the world who do their jobs, show up every day, and provide a high level of specialized knowledge and skills in order to help the debtor <coughs> do what it does, which is turn out uh, interesting, exciting uh, software products in order to aid uh, in the adoption of the Terra blockchain and aid in increasing uh, user traffic to the blockchain. So for those reasons, and to avoid immediate and irreparable harm to the business, we ask the court grant the wages motion on an interim basis. Very good. I would ask if anyone wishes to be heard with respect to the wages and benefits motion. Ms. Shore? Good afternoon, Your Honor. Therese Shore for the Securities and Exchange Commission for the record. Um, just very briefly, Your Honor, my understanding is that a, a, an SEC callback has been added to the, the order. Um, thank you. Um, given the timing here, the SEC hasn't had the opportunity to fully review the motion and just reserves the right to um, object to final entry of the order. Uh, and I would note that and, uh, that that right is reserved without even making it specifically on the record, but uh, that it, 
so noted. And uh, but as for purposes of today, you're satisfied with the language in the order. Yes, as long as it's very good. Included. Thank All you. Right. Does anyone else wish to be heard with respect to wages and benefits? Okay, um, I'm going to grant the motion. And consistent with Ms. Liu's observations, I would uh, make a comment I've made many, many times, which is that at the outset of a case, there's no constituency for whom I have greater concern than the employees that look to the company for payment of wages and benefits. Um, I've had an opportunity to review the application. It is comprehensive and thorough. It identifies a compensation and benefit regime that I would generally expect in a company of this size. Um, and that I would also observe that, uh, again, consistent with Ms. Liu's comments, um, the nature of this company's business is, the, is in the heads of the people that do the work for the company. Um, and that's not a novel proposition in this day and age, but uh, to me, uh, a company that comes into a Chapter 11 seeking to reorganize or achieve some particular goal, um, uh, step one is ensuring that your employees are paid. Uh, and so this relief accomplishes that. As Ms. Liu noted, the relief does implicate Bankruptcy Rule 6003 and that it contemplates the payment of certain pre-petition obligations in the first few weeks of the case. For the reasons stated, uh, in the declaration, as well as the court's long experience, I'm satisfied that the debtor's reorganization would suffer the risk of immediate and irreparable harm in the absence of the relief requested. The motion is granted. The order will issue. Thank you, Your Honor. The next item on the agenda is item number seven. That's the debtor's treasury management motion, which was filed at docket number 21. Uh, and I'm happy to walk through this motion in as much or as little detail as needed. Uh, but I was dying. My <laughs> colleagues asked if I would ask you if you brought the wallets with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so generally speaking, I would classify the relief in this motion in three broad categories just to make it easy to digest. I do think that in many respects, as odd as the motion seems because of the nature of this business, it's actually fairly vanilla in the sense that we are simply seeking to continue to use the management system, the treasury management system that we are using pre-petition. Now, had the debtor had the ability to access bank accounts, then a component of this motion would have included cash management as well. But given that the debtor was uh, uh, had its access cut off pre-petition, it had to find uh, other ways to support itself. Uh, and as you saw from the first aid declaration, the large majority of its assets are uh, digital assets. Mm -hmm. And those digital assets are stored in existing wallets and accounts that exist online, uh, on the blockchain. Um, so as the first component of the relief, it's simply continuing our ability to store, transfer, stake, convert, and disperse those digital assets as we otherwise would in the ordinary course. Uh, and to continue using those existing wallets and accounts. And as you can imagine, there will come a time where occasion demands that we will need to open new wallets and accounts, and we would like to ensure that we have authority to do that as well. Ms. Liu, I just want to uh, ask, I think that the motion speaks directly to this, but um, anticipating, I'm sure, a discussion you probably had with Ms. Richendurfer, um, notwithstanding the difference in currency, which then leads to the difference in the mechanics by which it's held and where it's held. Um, your point is this, is this is a cash management system. Pretty much, Your Honor. And 
so the one of the main considerations in a cash management system in a more typical case is ensuring that there are records that are that show where money goes and that it's that 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 can be tracked and traced etc I think that the papers and the declaration speak to exactly that but I, if you would confirm that the debtor does have the ability to track transfers and and uh, explain to the court to the world etc if asked um, how money was used post petition under this regime uh, that would be helpful Yes, Your Honor, and I would say that there's actually two components to that tracking. There's an internal component, which is the debtor's books and records, and the debtor keeps books and records, unlike some of the crypto companies that have filed. I'm sad to uh, say it is helpful <laughs> for you to make that point. And they do have internal individuals uh, responsible for maintaining those books and records. This is an area of concern that was identified by the U.S. Mm -hmm. Trustee's Office and we have negotiated uh, acceptable language for inclusion in the proposed treasury management order that addresses this very issue, that we would provide those records upon request to the United States Trustee's Office. Um, and so I, I can assure you that there should be no concern on that front. But in addition to that, I will point out that this is a company um, that transacts in the digital world, and so every transaction is publicly available on the blockchain, and it will be there forever. Okay. Uh, I interrupted you. You may proceed. Sure. I was also going to mention that with respect to the treasury management component of this, there is a cash management component in the sense that we are endeavoring to try to open new bank accounts mm -hmm. uh, now that we are in Chapter 11. Uh, and to the extent that we are able to find a willing financial institution to partner with, then we are requesting authority to continue to use um, those bank accounts and open new bank accounts. And to the extent that we are able to gain access to the frozen bank accounts that existed pre-petition, then we would obviously want to be able to make transfers out of those accounts. And if I'm correct, I think that the revised language that has been proposed in the most recent order addresses the mechanics of that. Do I have that right? Uh, yes. Actually, Your Honor, do you have, I just want to make sure you do have the red line with um, you know, from the I, I may have left it on my desk. Do we have a copy? Yes, I do have a copy of the red line. That would be great. Would you like me to approach? Sure. Thanks. So this is what was received by Chambers, I think, a couple hours before the hearing. I think I left my copy on my desk. So... I, I will note a couple of things. That red line is a little incomplete. That is the red line that the United States Trustee's Office provided to us maybe less than an hour before the hearing. Um, and so luckily we were able to uh, consensually resolve language. And there are going to be some edits to that okay. language, uh, which we will submit in a revised order to the court through certification of counsel. But I, uh, that that's all fine. And again, I appreciate the engagement between uh, you folks in the United States trustee on this. I think the point that I was raising was language that's been added to paragraph four that I had seen that talked about providing the U.S. trustee with notice if we do, if you're able to get accounts or open accounts. And that's what I would typically expect. I just wanted to make sure that it Correct. was in there. Yes. Yes. There okay. will be no changes to that language. Okay. The second component of the relief sought in the Treasury Management Motion is the ability to continue processing intercompany transactions. This is primarily relating to supporting the operating expenses of proximity. 
wages motion covered the supporting of the employee obligations arising from proximity, but there will be additional operating expenses, since fairly, fairly de minimis expenses, about twenty dollars to $30,000 a month, and so we are seeking ability to continue to support um, that integral part of the debtor's business. Okay. In addition, I will say that there are some other components of relief that are intended to facilitate the debtor's continued access to funds or access to additional funds. And these components include the ability to continue to use New Rabbit uh, as effectively a digital asset converter um, so that we can convert digital assets to, to fiat, fiat currency as necessary. Exactly, exactly. Uh, there's also the additional component of the language we built in addressing the Denton's fee advance. And to the extent that the debtors and Dentons are able to facilitate the transfer of excess funds from the fee advance back to the debtor, then the debtor would like the authority to be able to uh, make those transfers and utilize those funds going forward for operating expenses. Lastly, I would say that there is language that also addresses the deposit placed with the Singapore High Court and preserving our ability to, of course, file an application before the Singapore High Court to seek release of all or a portion of the funds uh, as, as may be necessary uh, so that we can bring that asset back into the estate as well. Okay. Okay. And um, I would say that there's some additional relief relating to paying any obligations that arise in connection with all of the things that I laid out to your honor. Uh, and then also seeking an extension of time to comply with Section 345B for obvious reasons here. Okay. If Your Honor has no questions, I think at this time we would say for the reasons set forth in the motion and based upon the evidence provided in uh, the letter declaration, we would request entry of Treasury Management Order on an interim basis. I will note, because I forgot the first time with the wages, motion that we did agree to consensual language with the SEC as well for this order, uh, which we uh, have included in the proposed order that we will submit to Your Honor. Um, is that language in the draft that I have, or is that still in flux? It should be in the draft that you have, Your Honor. Um, but I think one of the paragraphs is in there, maybe not the other. So we just have to make sure we have both paragraphs uh, negotiated with the SEC in the order for you. Okay. I have no questions at this time. I'd like to hear first from the United States Trustee, and then I'll hear from, uh, from Ms. Schroeder. Ms. Richendorfer? Good afternoon again, Your Honor. I have to say this is the first time, and in my discussions with debtors' counsel, they admitted that they were not aware of any other cases where every all of the accounts were cryptocurrency accounts. I mean, in FTX, there's a wide mixture of accounts, um, and unfortunately, because Mr. Keesian decided to retire, I'm in FTX, so I know about that one now. <laughs> That is, not, that is not my problem written all over it. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. But, um, I, I don't disagree. I think, though, as I read the, the, the context provided by the declaration and Ms. Liu's presentation, in the absence of the difficulties with the traditional banking entities, this company would have arrived, presumably, with all of these various wallets, but also with bank accounts and checking, et cetera, that it would have used to facilitate some of its operations. So um, it's more a function of circumstance than design, necessarily, that we're looking at this kind of unusual situation that I likewise have not seen. Again, and um, in the other crypto case that I had at the first day, I was asked to approve a 
dip facility in Bitcoin. And apparently it was an unremarkable thing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but uh, so I, uh, and I understand, I guess, uh, I, I mentioned at the outset, I read this motion a couple of times to understand precisely what was going on. But again, I think it was helpful to break it down into the handful of categories mm -hmm. that Ms. Liu did, uh, provided. Yes, Your Honor, and we had an extremely helpful call this morning, um, and I know that most of the participants here from the debtors, representing the debtors, were unfortunately in the um, train station getting ready, uh, and uh, Ms. Leeming was in her car. I decided to go into work late, but we had a call around 8 o'clock that really helped okay. walk us through this. Um, because one of our primary concerns, Your Honor, is transparency. Mm -hmm. With the bank accounts, we get the bank statements, we, can, we understand them, we know them. Um, and that's one of the reasons why we added language in here about the record keeping um, and also uh, making information available to us so that we can see the transfers and the transactions. And on that, at least from my point of view, you're pushing an open door. That was my first question to Ms. Mm -hmm. Liu, and she certainly answered it satisfactorily. Yes, Your Honor, and that was as a result of our discussions this morning, and then we came up with the language um, that we could then put into here. Um, uh, there's a, still a couple of open items of information that um, we need to uh, receive from the debtors, and it's still part of a, you know open door, as you say, Your Honor, um, because we're trying to get a handle around uh, who within the corporate structure controls which of the wallets and what assets, as described in the first day declaration are in which of these wallets. I mean, there is an exhibit that's attached here too um, that lays them out. And uh, there's, you know, they're called different things. They're very different. Um, there's also the legacy wallets, which I learned this morning can never be closed because they exist forever. Uh, don't know what's in the, those wallets though. And if they're not using them, then they should be, we respectfully suggest should be transferred out much like we would ask for um, a no longer used bank account to be closed out. My guess is that that's a discussion you should continue to have because yes. I, I think your and my intuition is going to suggest to the debtor that they should proceed with something that's probably an impossibility. Um, but I think it's, it's not a today issue. Right. Okay. Right. It's not it. a today issue, Your Honor. I just wanted to say, mention that there are things that are still in flux that we're trying to get more of a comfort level with, if you will, Your Honor. Um, and one of the reasons is it's been represented to us that Mr. Kwan and Mr. Shen, the shareholders who still own this debtor, uh, that they no longer have access to any of these wallets. But, and I do appreciate that, but that's one of the reasons why we want to know who does have access. And I know there's multi-level um, approvals that need to be given mm -hmm. in order to do the transfers, and we want, we would like that information, uh, again, to make sure that there is no way that the 92% shareholder um, or anyone he may have given his mm -hmm. information to can access. And I know the debtor doesn't want that happening either. Um, and the other thing is, Your Honor, and we're still exploring this a bit, is that Moon River, Room Rabbit, excuse me, um, is not what I would call a true third party. It is owned by one of the officers of the debtor. Um, and it's been represented to us what the uh, flat fee is that they receive every month. And um, you know, we'll gain some comfort with that again, Your Honor, when we see the transfers as they occur. 
um, back and forth to you know to Moon Rabbit. Um, the the Denton's fee advance again that is something we've requested information about. I understand it's covered by a letter agreement which we've requested, so we can see because one of our first questions was well. How do we know that Dentons is really going to go pay that bill if you ask them to go pay that bill? Uh, and so, you know, the retainers can be a tricky thing. Law firms can take different positions vis-a-vis -a, -vis a retainer that they've received and whether or not it's still debtor's money or their money. Um, and I think that um, one of the last ones, and I do, I do apologize to debtors, this just recently came to our attention as we were getting ready to come over here. Um, if you look on Exhibit D uh, with the wallets that are listed, that number 21 says Hex Trust Account. And debtors had advised us that this was frozen. And uh, what we're not exactly sure what's in there. I think they, they told us it was Bitcoin. But we have read about there being an entity out there called Hex um, and the founder of the company, who seems to go by two names, um, is in a lot of trouble with different authorities, and everything got froze. There's a lot of that going around. It, there is a lot of that going around in this industry. So I don't know whether it's frozen because of the SEC action against Terraform, or if it's frozen because of what's going on with Hex. Um, and just want to make sure that there are safeguarding um, of uh, debtors' assets. And, and again, um, we just had a new trial attorney join our office who was sitting at council table with it's us. It's good to see you again. Yes, Welcome. I, someone that Welcome you may, um, that's, I know that uh, she is known to this court um, and uh, Ms. Vu has been joined with us and she is, she loves to go explore things on the internet for us and so she is the one that found um, the information for us about Hex just as we were getting ready to come over. Well, I'll hear from uh, a couple things. Um, as to the information requests, mm -hmm. um, uh, in, in dealing with this, I will I, I will at least observe it now. Um, the debtor has commenced a Chapter 11 case. The debtor needs to deal with the United States trustee, other stakeholders, a committee if appointed, the court. Um, and it's my expectation that there will be a, a productive exchange of information. Part of that exchange today's hearing has demonstrated is is an there's an educational component to each of those. Um, again, Ms. Berkovich, you've done a thousand cases. If we were talking about bank accounts at J.P. Morgan or at TD Bank or something else, we wouldn't be necessarily noodling over this. Mm -hmm. The concern about where the money is, what whether it's <coughs> money, um, and whether and to whom it belongs and who has access to it, are all completely legitimate questions most of which I would hope and expect are solvable by productive engagement. And experience teaches that the parties will go through that. I'm not telling you anything that you don't know. If there's a breakdown in communications or there's information that is needed or there wheels start to come off, I would expect, I don't, I'm not a big fan of letters and motion practice on mechanical things. Um, get me on the phone. Um, we have a hearing scheduled for about a month out, um, but again, the trustee has identified concerns just about functionally getting your arms around exactly what it is that you are overseeing in your statutory capacity. That makes perfect sense to me. And again, uh, the record indicates from counsel that there's been a, a, an open dialogue that remains ongoing. And 
uh, I'm supportive of that and I will foster that if, uh, if there are problems you can expect uh, that I would uh, make myself available. Thank you, Your Honor. And I just wanted to, again, thank the debtors because they have been trying very hard to educate those of us who are new to all of this. Um, um, I would note, uh, for any other comments? No, Your Honor, go ahead. Okay. Um, I would note for the benefit of Ms. Liu and Ms. Berkovich that I think Mr. Amani, who you didn't see, but I did, um, may have information responsive on the HEX issue, whether that's a today issue or not. Um, you're welcome to confer, but um, uh, I'll, I'll leave that uh, to you folks. Ms. Ms. Liu, did you wish to be heard? Uh, yes, I First, thank you for the offer to help the parties bridge any differences, if there are differences that end up existing between us. I did want to respond to just three points for purposes of clarity. The first is uh, we are trying to be as transparent as possible, which hopefully you could tell from the papers that we filed. Uh, but we are also, as you're probably experienced with this, balancing safety and security concerns, especially given the online and digital nature of the business and the transactions that are being conducted. And so I, I just want to reiterate that we will need assurances from the United States Trustee's Office that if we do provide highly sensitive information that may impact the security of the company, uh, including its accounts, that that information will be kept highly confidential. Uh, the second point that I wanted to make is that with respect to the dent and speed advance, I didn't want there to be any ambiguity. The scope of the relief requested in the Treasury management motion was that excess funds would be returned to the debtor so that the debtor can pay its expenses. Um, so I just want to be very clear about that. Not that there was an expectation that dentists would be paying operating expense bills directly. Uh, the third point I wanted to just raise is that with respect to the HEX trust account, uh, currently I believe I am getting a note on this, so I will find. Um, I can confirm that our access to this account is frozen, and we welcome any help or aid that the United States Trustee's Office would like to provide us in helping us gain access to not only this account, but other frozen accounts that we have. Okay. Ms. Schreier? Thank you, Your Honor, again, for the record, Therese Shorter for the SEC. Um, Your Honor, we appreciate the debtor incorporating the, the carve-out language. Um, given the timing here, I did alert um, debtor's counsel that we may have, would likely have some additional comments. Um, and for the reasons discussed by Mr. Lannisman, Your Honor, you know, it, it appears that some of the relief set forth in the Treasury management uh, motion may not be in compliance with the securities laws. I think, you know, the SEC requests that any relief provided to the debtor on an interim basis be as limited as possible. Specifically, we'd ask that the court not authorize any transactions involving Unit 2.0. Um, I think I'd like to know if the debtor is intent. I, let's do this, actually. Um, <coughs> I think we should take a five-minute break. A um, couple things. The parties have engaged productively, the SEC and the United States Trustee, on this motion. There is language here. I've had an opportunity to review it. I have no issues with it. Um, 
but again, this is a first day hearing, and if the SEC or the government has additional comments or observations, it would be better to have that discussion without me in the middle of it. Uh, so I would be happy to give you a few moments to have that discussion. Um, a couple other things that, uh, again, I think are, are should be apparent, but bear repeating. The sensitivity concerns Ms. Liu just touched on about the, the nature of the debtor's business um, and the, frankly, highly confidential and sensitive information that may be relevant to the responses from the, uh, for information from the United States trustee, uh, that, to me that, that seems apparent. Um, but this is not unplowed ground. The United States trustee um, commonly gets uh, uh, sensitive information and part of the reason that I suggested if there are issues with respect to the exchange of information that the dialogue starts to falter, I don't want letters from the parties. I want you to get me on the phone and to be honest, if circumstances warrant a chambers conference, the, uh, that some of these discussions are not on the record, um, may be appropriate um, because there are consequences. The United States trustee is trying to do a job, but in many ways the job and the framework of that job doesn't necessarily fit neatly with the nature of this company that's in front of me. Again, this is not the only case of this nature that's before the courts or even in my court. Um, so. I hear you on the issues, um, and the court will be sensitive to those issues um, and will balance those considerations. I'm likewise aware that um, the SEC appears today as, again, as Ms. Scheuer noted from her point of view, or her view is that they're the largest uh, contingent creditor in the case. Um, I get it, uh, but that also, a fundamental nature of a, of a Chapter 11 case is often that stakeholder is a stakeholder and a creditor, but is also a litigation adversary in pending litigation. So those are considerations I'm aware of. I make no comment on how the discussion plays out from here, just to observe that um, uh, if it does start to go off the rails, I would expect to hear from the parties uh, on these issues. Um, parties want information. The debtor is obliged to provide certain information, but the debtor is entitled to ensure that its interests and those of other stakeholders are not harmed by the exchange of that information. And one of the luxuries I have in this job is able and experienced professionals that have done this particular dance before, and I would expect counsel to be able to handle most of that. And again, I'll be uh, available to assist that process if it starts to go sideways. Why don't we take five minutes? You can have your discussion about any open issues on the form of order, and then we can reconvene. Stand in recess.
Ms. Liu, how are we doing? Your Honor, for the record, Jessica Liu on behalf of the debtor. We are in discussions with the SEC, and I think we have a resolution that could work. So we do need some time, however, to type up the language and then get it in front of the SEC and have them run it up the proverbial chain to make sure it's okay with them. However, we do want to try to get the interim treasury management order entered. So I have a proposal for you, and if that doesn't work, then we have an alternative as a backup. So our proposal is that we take a very short second break, because I understand we may be your last matter for today. God bless. And unfortunately, we are going to potentially keep you here a little longer, but I would like to try to resolve the issue. I have no problem with that. And we can come back at like, you know, maybe 
um, or if the parties want to confer. And again, I'm sensitive to Ms. Uh, Shorter's comment that you know some of her colleagues are on the phone and likely um, are going to want to see that language uh, just to make sure that there's nothing uh, that they're concerned about. So I'm really at your pleasure. You want to reconvene in 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 40 minutes, or do you want to uh, presume that the wordsmithing can get done? We'll take it under certification, and if not then we'll get on the phone and we'll talk about whatever the, the open issue is. Yeah, Your Honor, if this is going to hold over until tomorrow, that is perfectly fine with us. I think we can. Okay, why, don't we, why don't we do this? Unless, unless there's an objection, um, I will do the following. Um, before me is what has been called the Treasury motion. I am prepared to grant that motion. I'm satisfied that the relief requested is appropriate and warranted. Um, as Ms. Liu noted, it did fall into five buckets, and that structure was actually helpful for me to understand. And, and uh, from the colloquy with Ms. Richendurfer, it's clear that we're kind of looking at this at the same way, which is a cash management motion and a bank account motion, which is typically not controversial. We don't have a bank account here, although I think you're telling me you're hoping you do, and that may be part of the language that the parties are going to noodle through, but sort of a three-body problem. You've got too many moving parts. The relief requested is certainly appropriate. The debtor needs to be able to operate and to fund whatever operations it does, and the mechanics of, the, uh, of that process are laid out in the motion and are appropriate. To the extent that there are issues, they relate primarily to requ uh, requests for disclosure and education from the part of the United States trustee, and then from the SEC, I imagine most of it is just essentially a uh, a, a reservation to ensure that their rights aren't prejudiced uh, by entry of an order in this proceeding that uh, that might have an impact that's not necessarily intended or expected or acceptable to the SEC. That's a drafting exercise. Uh, but the motion itself is granted, subject to the parties finalizing the language. Um, and as I said, if I understand the scope of the dialogue that you're having, that the chances that I would stand in the way of that or have issues with revisions that you are currently noodle, noodling through are about zero. If there is, and, and again, I appreciate the urgency of this, so again, if there is a problem uh, that is insuperable, then uh, get me on the phone and we'll, and we'll be able to noodle through, because again, we are talking about an interim order that is appropriate and necessary but needs to have sufficient safeguards in it to reflect the interim nature of it and the rights of the parties that are affected. Yes, we appreciate that, Your Honor. I do want to clarify for the record, again, that I think the SEC's concerns run um, a little broader than just a reservation of rights, this new concern that was raised at this hearing. So we are trying to resolve it, but it, it deals primarily with respect to the use of the Luna II. Digital okay. assets. So well, I think we can again. I think we'll hopefully get there. Uh, but I didn't want you to think that it was akin to wordsmithing the original reservation okay. of rights that they proposed. Well, no, and I appreciate your clarification. Um, it was actually that was kind of my reaction when Ms. Scheuer identified the concern. It seemed to me that that should be a discussion that the party should have offline Absolutely. and not necessarily in front of me. Um, and I'm happy to allow that discussion to continue. Um, but it would seem to me that, that uh, resources are best served by, rather than having you do it in the hall unless you want to, um, I would look for that under certification or, if need be, uh, to deal with uh, uh, the parties if there's an issue. But in terms of the record for purposes of today, the motion is well-founded and would be granted subject to 
um, preparation of a satisfactory form of order, all rights being reserved uh, until that order is either agreed to or ruled upon by the court uh, after a hearing. Okay? Thank you very much, Your Honor. That's right. wonderful. Very good. Ms. Luke? Uh, so that covers us for the Treasury motion. Um, Ms. Berkovich, do we have anything else uh, this afternoon? Nothing else. Thank you, uh, uh, you and the court, for uh, your time this afternoon. All right. Uh, with that, we will stand in recess. I'll look for the certification. I think the other orders may have already been entered. If, uh, if not, that will happen this afternoon. I appreciate everyone's time and the education, and uh, I will look forward to seeing you in, uh, in just a few weeks' time. With that, we stand in recess. Thank you, Council. Thank you.